I told someone this week that I was preaching on the text from the book of Acts, where Peter sees a giant sheet come down from heaven and all sorts of animals are all bunched up in it, and then Peter is told by a voice that he can eat all these animals, no matter what the law says, and this person was like, I think I missed that story in Sunday school. And I don't think he's alone in not knowing this story. It isn't well known, it's a little weird, and there's a lot going on here. Firstly, the characters in our story, they are an unlikely pair. Cornelius is a wealthy big city man from Caesarea, a city on the coast, likely on a shipping route. Uh, Also, a city which probably hosted a lot of gladiator games and theater productions. Cornelius, he's a higher-ranking military officer in the Italian cohort. It even sounds fancy. And Peter, Peter, he's a working-class man. He's a fisherman from Galilee. And that's an area that people didn't think much good could come out of. He's blue-collar, Cornelius, white-collar. Cornelius was probably more polished, and Peter... Peter cut off someone's ear in fear and rage when his best friend was being arrested. Peter was a little bit more rough around the edges. And these two, they don't know each other. But one day in Caesarea, Cornelius is praying. It's around 3 o'clock. In that time, it was often customary for people to spend time in dedicated prayer time three times a day. And during this prayer, Cornelius has a vision. And lots of people have visions, don't they? I know this. I know this because I know some honest people I trust who tell me that they have. Some have seen angels. Some have even seen Jesus. And while I don't doubt that others do have these experiences, I personally have never seen a vision. And some of it is a bit hard for me to wrap my mind around as I read this text. But Cornelius, as he is praying clearly sees an angel of God coming into his room, and the text tells us that Cornelius stares at the angel in terror, so maybe I'm glad that I haven't seen any angels. People in the Bible are usually terrified when angels show up in their space. But the angel knows Cornelius by name and tells him that his prayers and acts of kindness have been seen and heard by God, and God wants him to do something. The angel tells Cornelius about a man named Simon Peter in Joppa who's staying with another guy named Simon the Tanner by the sea. And then the angel tells Cornelius to have some of his people, remember this guy is pretty wealthy, he says to him to send some of his people to go get Peter staying at the Tanner's house by the sea. And I would think, perhaps, that Cornelius would think a little bit before doing this. He doesn't know this Peter fellow. He doesn't know him at all. And he doesn't know why he's supposed to send to him. The angel doesn't really tell him. And most of all, perhaps, Peter's been staying with a tanner. And I can't imagine that the homes of tanners smell particularly nice. But apparently, visions are motivating. And Cornelius sends for Peter, the man he doesn't know, staying with Simon, the tanner, by the sea. And this wasn't the only vision in the story. God has been busy. Peter also goes up to his roof to pray around noon, and he sees his own vision. Now, Peter was hungry. Maybe this vision is a bit like what happens when you go to the grocery store hungry. Suddenly you're seeing visions of Oreos and fried chicken and how good your dinner's going to be. Maybe that's just me. 
But in our story, Peter is hungry, and suddenly he sees a huge sheet being lowered towards him with all kinds of animals and creatures in it, and he hears a voice telling him, get up, kill, and eat. But Peter, Peter is a devout man. He's a follower of the law, and he's horrified by this. He knows these sorts of animals are not the ones the law allows him to eat. Many of the animals ate anything and could get ancient people sick without proper proper and clean killing methods. And so Peter says to God, no, I have never eaten anything unsacred, nothing that is unclean. But the vision repeats itself. It repeats itself the number of times Peter denied Jesus and the same number of times Jesus asked him if he loved him and the same number of times Jesus tells Peter to feed his sheep. Perhaps Peter needs repetition like a lot of us. And then suddenly, after it's repeated three times, it is all gone. Peter is confused, but he understands from God that he must get his men together and that he must go with the men searching for him who are on their way to meet him from Cornelius. And then, once they arrive, and with some clarification from the men sent by Cornelius, Peter does just that. He goes to Caesarea to meet with Cornelius, whom he has never met. And this is odd. But once our minds can get past the visions, and once we can roll with Peter and Cornelius' courage to meet and talk, maybe we would think this story was sweet, perhaps even a bit mundane. God brings some people together to be friends. How nice is that? However, there is one contextual detail we need here, something that makes this meeting relatively impossible. Cornelius is a Gentile, And Peter is a Jew. And according to the law, Jews weren't supposed to eat with Gentiles. There were health and holiness laws that the people of God followed, many of which are laws actually used by surgeons today in order to keep people clean and healthy. These laws were good. They were a way to organize a community in ways that helped people to relate well to each other, They helped people tell a different story about their faith, differentiating their faith from other faiths in the lands surrounding them that sacrificed children. These laws helped these people of God be healthy and helped them show that they followed the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, of Sarah, Rebecca, and Leah, and Rachel. They they showed that they followed a God of love and mercy. And Peter invariably followed these laws, as did Jesus and most people in our scriptures. And the people of God, these God followers, they weren't to eat with Gentiles as they ate different foods from each other. Staying with a Gentile made things even harder as people would have provided hospitality to one another. And they wouldn't be able to eat these same things. And these followers of God, they wanted to follow God with their whole hearts. And this all perhaps would have been difficult for Gentiles too. Should they start obeying all these laws to appease their guests, perhaps? And eventually, in order to hang out with Peter and his friends, would these Gentiles choose to be circumcised as adults? Would they need to change their bodies in order to belong? And this part here, it hit me this week. This feels similar to what has been happening in churches around the world and in our denomination 
We've learned our laws, laws that tell us what is okay and what is not. We have learned what God commands us. We have read it in our scriptures. We have been taught that maybe women can't be pastors, that queer people are not allowed to love who they love and be called Christian. The Bible says a lot of things, and we've been taught a lot of things, haven't we? We ask, do people need to change themselves in order to be a part of the worshiping community? Do they need to change their calling? Do we need to change who we are created to be in order to belong? But the Holy Spirit still speaks. And author Rachel Held Evans, who actually died yesterday, she's a theologian and writer who helped me define my faith pretty radically. And I know a lot of you have been reading her book, Inspired. She says, this is what the kingdom of God is like. A bunch of outcasts and oddballs are gathered around a table. Not because they are rich or worthy or good, but because they are hungry and because they said yes. And there is always room for one more. And I think this is what's happening in our story. The Holy Spirit is at work. The kingdom of God is happening. God is showing Peter and Cornelius that the table has been God's table all along and not theirs, and that the table always has extra room. Jews and Gentiles didn't come together to eat, to talk, to stay with one another. Food laws and purity laws made it difficult. People thought maybe they needed to change their bodies through circumcision in order to belong together to change what they ate, follow laws that weren't culturally theirs. They wanted to follow God, but with all of this, it all separated people from one another. And sometimes, it's similar to how we see this in Christian circles today, laws become, be, come before people, unfortunately. But then, then the Holy Spirit told Cornelius to invite this man to his house, a man he didn't know of a different social circle who had different messages and different ideas than himself, a man who might not think he was able to follow God by being the way he was. And then the Holy Spirit talks to Peter too. He tells, tells Peter that he can eat unclean foods, that he can be with Gentiles and not be considered unclean, that perhaps there is no clean and unclean, but that all is sacred when you know that God made us all in the first place. We are all beloved of God. Once Peter and other early believers began to hear the stories of more people, they learned that human dignity and relationships is greater than laws. I think we all have to hear that sometimes. And these characters in our story remember that while they were one of God's favorites, they were favorites just like everyone else, just like Pastor Judy says to us. She says, I am one of God's favorites just like everyone else. And this is what this story tells us. And Peter preaches at the end of our story, and many, many come to know who God is. And I kept thinking this week that perhaps God does the same today. Maybe we've received laws and things that seem clear, but the more we get to know God, the more we see Jesus' ministry and call to make disciples of all nations, the more we hear stories and see more people whom God loves and who want to follow God, the more we see that people aren't unclean. None of us are. 
In order to learn from these patriarchs of our faith more, learn from Cornelius and Peter more, and in order to mirror Jesus more, who tore the curtain and flipped tables to show that there is always room, perhaps we too remember that what God has made clean, we should not call unclean. Perhaps for women preachers, for queer folks who want to be married in the church, we call things clean along with Jesus. Perhaps, even though our denomination says we should not, we fling wide the doors and we remember that it is God's table to begin with and that there are seats enough for all of us at that table. And there is more to this story that sticks with me too. Something that sat with me these last few weeks as I read and prayed. I got to thinking, all of what was happening in Acts, these were huge changes to the religious life at the time. First of all, the early church had new leadership in a way. They still followed Jesus, of course. Jesus was with them through the Holy Spirit, but Jesus had ascended into heaven, and disciples and apostles, they were teaching now. They were the people right in front of their face. Through the Holy Spirit, this was a new movement. They didn't know what was next. They knew that they were to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But how? How were they to do that? And what did that look like? How would they talk about God who became human and died only to be resurrected back to life? This is a wild story. How would they tell people that they believed Jesus was the Messiah that they'd been waiting for? This was wild. This was a big transition. It's something that we hear a lot and we think about it as something normal, but this was different. This was new. And on top of that, they were wrestling with new theology and new ways of following God. We are Gentiles. We have only ever known that Gentiles are welcome to be called Christ followers. But at that time, Gentile welcome, it was complicated. To be welcomed into community, we would have to change what we ate. We would need to follow laws. For the early church community that followed the law, these new ways of thinking, of knowing that they could eat with Gentiles and eat the food of Gentiles, meant that everything was changing. Absolutely everything. These early Christians' ways of worshiping and following God that they had done their entire life, it was different now. Things were changing. They had seen visions and gotten to know Jesus, and now in order to welcome more in their ways of being and worshiping, they were changing. This was big. While our text this week doesn't tell the story of how hard this transition was for the early church, other texts do. People were not always happy and there were difficulties, there were arguments. Change takes time and strength and conviction and gentleness and relationship. Not everyone was on the same page. But for the furthering of the gospel, people in the early church worked through transitions and with each other and they worked to fling wide the gates to see that there had been seats at the table all along, that it was God's table, that perhaps it wasn't their table to begin with, that perhaps they were invited to God's table all along where there were seats always for everyone. And I think we all, we've been through transitions too. Not only in our denomination over the years, but within our own church community. 
We've been through some pretty wild transitions these last couple months alone. Our dear Pastor Paul's ministry has come to an end here, and he's moving on to another church. Dear friends and family of ours have transitioned through death and are with God, and we grieve. And we go through transitions now to find a new pastor. This church community has even been through many transitions in the past with pastors and friends leaving the church community due to ideology or because Seattle is too expensive to live in. Many of these have been transitions of grief too. And right now, as we are a people in the middle of grief in many ways, we are like this early church in their transition time. We may have known what has happened. We may have even had visions. We don't know what is coming, though, and we don't always know what the future holds. But in transitions and times where we don't know what is next, the Holy Spirit still speaks. The Holy Spirit works in both of these men's lives, in Cornelius's and Peter's, to bring them to together at God's table, to keep telling the magnificent story of grace and love that God had for them, both Jew and Gentile, religious or non-religious, making a new community. The Holy Spirit is at work constantly through angels and through visions, telling new stories and flinging wide the gates. And it is the Holy Spirit who builds new relationships, and the Holy Spirit who furthers the mission of the church, though it might seem impossible, whether across social lines in ancient Israel or in unchurched Seattle, where people don't always trust organized religion, and sometimes for good reason. It is the Holy Spirit who breaks down social and religious barriers. It is the Holy Spirit who orchestrates all of it. And while God's spirit works in this story, the characters are hardly passive. They pray multiple times a day, and they listen intently for God. They obey when God calls, no matter how wild the call and no matter how ridiculous and impossible the instruction, and sometimes God's instructions do seem that way. And I think it is our, it is our season, our time as a church community to do the same. We are in transition similar to the early church. We are in the middle of flinging wide the gates, learning that God's table is always open and getting to know more of God's beloveds. We are learning for the first time, perhaps, that we ourselves are welcome at God's table without having to change pieces of how God has created us. We are in the middle of changes in leadership as a church. We are in the middle of moving forward and many new possibilities as a church as we work in our summit building right up the street as we build relationships in our neighborhood, knowing that each of us are God's favorites, just like everybody else. And in our transitions, I think we have a lot to learn from the actions of Peter and Cornelius. The Holy Spirit led them and brought visions and all sorts of things, but these men were not passive. They were ready. They were ready to hear and they were ready to act. We can learn to take the time to pray. We can pray and discern together, maybe even remembering to pray three times a day. We can listen to God and see what God may be calling us to together as a community. This isn't just the job of pastors, though it is, of course. This is really whole community work. We are all the priesthood of believers. This is something God calls all of us to, and in this time of transition, may we sit in the in-between with God and listen. May we listen. 
And perhaps as we transition and as things change, we can also remember that the Holy Spirit is with us. We aren't alone in the middle of all this. Sometimes I get overwhelmed trying to figure out what God might be calling us to, what is right for our community, because sometimes we just don't hear a voice, we don't see a vision, we don't see an angel. But God still speaks. The Holy Spirit still works in many ways. It doesn't have to be through an angel. It doesn't have to be through a vision. John 14 calls the Holy Spirit the advocate who will not leave us who will teach us all things and remind us what Jesus has taught us. John 15 says that the advocate will witness to God among us. And John 16 says that the advocate will guide us in all truth and will glorify God through it all. The text says that the advocate will help us take heart and will help us have courage. And I think this is what is happening among us. It's exciting. The advocate, the Holy Spirit, is still speaking and still working in each of us and in us as a community. The advocate, the Holy Spirit, is reminding us of Jesus' truth. The advocate is still witnessing to God among us and guiding us in all truth and glorifying God through this place, through our community and through our very selves. While we have much coming at us, and I don't want to deny that we do not, while we are in the middle of horrific griefs, while we are in the middle of transitions, we can take heart. We can have courage. The advocate who helped us, who helped build community uh, in the early church, breaking down barriers, and who even brought Cornelius and Peter together, that advocate is with us too. So, in this next season, may we lean into the Holy Spirit. When we are in grief, may we know that it is healthy and good and that the advocate translates to God our groaning that we cannot even put into prayers. When we are unsure about where God is leading us, let us go back to prayer and listen in whatever way we connect with God. I personally love to be outside in nature. I see God that way. I also like to make art and listen to music. I hear God that way too. There are many ways to hear God. You can think about the ways that you listen to God. And when we are afraid about what is next, let us remember that the advocate is still with us. And let us together sit and listen in eager and holy and non-passive expectation, knowing that the advocate is already at work. Amen.